You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Wildfires burning up BC. This is Lee's Corner, a landmark cafe in the Chilcotin, now lost. Thousands evacuated, hundreds more forced to move overnight. And the hot, dry conditions aren't letting up, at least not yet. Good evening and thank you very much for joining us. It's been another grueling day on the fire lines and a stressful day for evacuees. More than 200 wildfires are burning across the province, including 29 new fires yesterday alone. Sophie Louie is in Prince George Forest tonight, and our entire team is on location in communities hit hardest by the crisis. We're going to begin tonight in 100 Mile House, where those who hadn't already left the community were ordered to pack up and leave last night. Our Ted Chernecki is safely on the edge of town, but Ted, it's got to feel like a bit of a ghost town in that area. Indeed, Chris, a ghost town, albeit a standing one, and that's a good thing because it wasn't looking so good about 18 hours ago. Today is very much like it was yesterday. It was a wind that was from the west, a steady wind, looked okay, although today we notice it's much, much darker. We can't even see the sun right now. It's almost like nighttime here. But yesterday it was like this. The winds were blowing from the west, and suddenly there was a shift in the wind direction, and that changed everything. In a scene reminiscent of the apocalypse, the movie, the sky turned blood red over Hundred Mile House as thick smoke spewed wildly from a fire that hours earlier seemed to have fallen silent. By early evening, the first licks of fire could be seen penetrating that curtain of smoke. Oh my God, look at it. Around 9 o'clock, the evacuation order was formally signed, even though authorities had been telling residents hours earlier that they had to leave. So when the evacuation order was finally announced, several key highways were already closed, forcing a rancher to open his property up so vehicles could find a way out. And there is a gate there, though, right? The frustration over how information is being disseminated is abundantly clear. They are not communicating and there's so much miscommunication. One minute they seem to say one thing, the next minute it's something totally different. They better come and tell us because they should go door to door. Yeah. That's how they've always done it in the past. Like this morning I heard 100 Mile was evacuated last night and people are running for their lives. And I'm thinking there must be 200 miles around here. <laughs> a lot of times the CRD, sorry, we're closed and it's not updated, so you yeah. don't really know. So there's 100 Mile House. Just a quarter to nine yes, last night, which is July 9th, it was an evacuation order. And it's, it is showing an earthquake still. You know, this is like 12 hours later. 100 Mile House is now a ghost town, where even a prescription renewal means a two and a half hour drive to Kamloops. But not everyone left. He stayed to defend Heritage property, even though the fire line is less than a kilometer away. He has now become eyes and ears on the inside, at least for now. If I see the, see the fire, you know, I'll turn all the sprinkler systems on and, and have the big fire hose going towards the barn and, and then leave. Ted, uh, the town is evacuated, as we uh, described. Explain where you are, though, and why residents there are safe, at least for the time being. Yeah, we're on the outskirts. We're on the eastern side of 100 Mile House. Uh, the town is evacuated, but a lot of residents live in the, dis the uh, lakes around 100 Mile House, and there's probably uh, two to maybe even 4,000 people up around here in Canham Lake and things like that. So if the situation deteriorates, this uh, evacuation order could be expanded, so everybody's watching for that. And I should also point out that 
the residents around here are showing a real camaraderie in this crisis because they're offering all kinds of things, people coming out with sandwiches, cookies for us, kind of things, and even accommodation. There's nowhere to stay here, of course, for us, and we're, we're being put up by uh, by residents uh, along a lake a lakefront. Back to you, Chris. All right, Clyde, you found a safe place to hang your hat, at least for a little bit. Thanks for the coverage up there, Ted. We are learning more tonight about the devastation and the heroic efforts to save properties in the Ashcroft area. Paul Johnson is live with that part of the story. Paul. Chris, at this point, we don't think the Ashcroft Reserve fire is an immediate threat to any significant communities, but it grew a lot since yesterday by about 50%. It's now burned more than 6,100 hectares. A blood red sunrise. All you needed to know about the status of the Ashcroft Reserve fire, that it once again covered the greater Kamloops area with a thick layer of smoke that stretched for hundreds of kilometers today. The fire is now thought to be burning in mostly empty country between Cache Creek and Clinton, but remains such a serious threat, wildfire officials are unable to give a solid measure on progress. We're winning where we can get people out of harm's way. Starting Friday morning south of Cache Creek, gusting winds blew this fire into an inferno, destroying the community of Boston Flats and forcing thousands of evacuations. One place that was able to fend it off was the Bonaparte Indian Reserve, where citizens grabbed hoses and heavy equipment to save their town. I'm not exaggerating when I say they stopped, they stopped uh, our community from getting wiped out. Bonaparte Band Chief Ryan Day says these wildfires are particularly hard on BC's First Nations people. Our communities are typically rural and and sometimes hard to access. At the Kamloops Airport today, headquarters for the air attack, operations were hampered by the smoke and some commercial flights were diverted. But there was also this, the first wave of out-of-province firefighters streaming in to help BC. It can't come soon enough. At the evacuee center at Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, the numbers continue to swell. People at this point are tired and just plain overwhelmed. All I can say is, as tired and um, scared, I'm very afraid. Fire is a big deal. Um, Just some information and... A really good rain would help. And Chris, here's an intriguing thought to consider. We're now several days into this wildfire emergency. We've had many thousands of hectares burned. We have more than 14,000 evacuees on the move throughout the province, many of them cut off for a long time. We don't yet have a single fatality reported in connection with this emergency. Chris? That is the good news. And boy, the anguish is real for a lot of those residents. That's obvious. Thanks, Paul. Well, it can be difficult to understand just how close these fires are burning to the communities we're talking about if you don't actually live there. But this will help. The map shows the latest information available on the wildfire boundaries or how close they're now burning to Ashcroft, Cache Creek, Williams Lake and Hundred Mile House. It is dangerously close in most of those areas. Our Sophie Louie is in Prince George tonight, a city that's really rallied to help upwards of a thousand evacuees who have now arrived in that city. Sophie. Absolutely, Chris. Uh, you certainly see the the spirit of uh, 
humankind when an emergency like this happens. So we're in Prince George, as you mentioned. We're at the College of New Caledonia, which is basically the headquarters, the main evacuation center uh, in this particular case. But it is at capacity right now, as you mentioned, upwards of a thousand people flowing into Prince George uh, and more coming in from 100 Mile House. So they've opened up two other evacuation centers at the University of Northern BC and at Prince George Secondary as well. You can see a few tents here behind me. Uh, some of these people who are here are not actually under evacuation orders officially, uh, but those folks right behind me are from the Williams Lake area, Laclahash, and it's so smoky and just too dicey right now. The anxiety is high, so they decided to come here and wait it out. So as we mentioned, this is the main evacuation center. Our Nadia Stewart has been in this region since Saturday, and Nadia, you had a chance to speak with some of the evacuees today. I have. You know, they, they are nervous. They're not sure what they're going to return home to, and you could really see the look on the faces of the folks who arrived from 100 Mile House that they are, are scared about what comes next. But for now, Prince George, it's home. Exhausted but grateful, evacuees from 100 Mile House arrive on two school buses at the reception center in Prince George. They spent the night on the road escaping the wildfire. Something these evacuees from Williams Lake and Laclahash did just two days ago. It's really hard, you know you're here and it's like a camping trip but it's not and you can't really see what's going on and kind of thank goodness we don't have TV. The Caribbean is such a beautiful place and I just I can't believe it's happening. Prince George's mayor says more than 800 people have taken shelter in their city from the College of New Caledonia to the 200 cots at UNBC. And now a third location has been set up to welcome weary evacuees. 180 cots, many of them shipped in from Edmonton. Mayor Lynn Hall says more evacuees are expected. On the plus side, he says the city isn't foreign to them. For many people that are here, Prince George is a recognizable city. They've spent time here, so that's quite important. So despite the fact that they face great loss, or they may face great loss, um, I think there's some reassurance that we're able to provide a secure place to stay. They could crash on the floor if they have sleeping bags and things. The comforts of home is what many Prince George residents are offering up. A clean bed, a shower, and a driveway to park RVs. The kind of warm welcome anyone displaced by disaster would appreciate. I can't imagine. Like somebody said, he did okay until he went to sign the evacuation papers at CNC. And then he broke down. Yeah, I guess that's for real. Then. We've already been asking. Well, there's definitely no shortage of hospitality, uh, as you mentioned here in Prince George, Nadia, but there's still a lot of anxiety, uncertainty for these folks. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, they ask us oftentimes for information about, you know, when they can expect to go home, what it's like uh, back in their neighborhoods. Uh, they aren't really sure. And at this point, it's, it's hard to say when they'll be able to get out of here. So they're hunkering down mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future. Certainly is nice to see the folks in Prince George helping them out. Thanks, Nadia. So for those people who will or could be under an evacuation order, if one is to come, because the situation, of course, in BC is still so risky for forest fires, there are some very specific points you need to remember uh, if you are falling under an evacuation order. So let's look at some of those key points. When you leave your home, make sure you close all of your windows and doors. Turn off all unnecessary appliances. Turn off all your lights as well, but do leave one on outside if you can that will let BC Hydro know that the power is on. Uh, take critical items with you. Don't forget, you're going to need your medication. Uh, take your pets in kennels if you have them. And of course, most importantly, for those who receive that kind of a notice, 
Just get all that stuff together and get out as fast as you can. And Chris, we're here in Prince George. We'll be speaking with the mayor of Prince George a little bit later tonight on the news hour, and we'll get an update from him for you. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Sophie. We'll check in a little bit later on the news hour. The biggest aggravating factor in all of this, of course, is the weather, and there doesn't appear to be a lot of relief in sight. Meteorologist Christy Gordon has a closer look at what's in store, especially for that region. Christy. Thanks so much, Chris. There was a glimmer of hope today with a band of rain moving right through an area where we have a number of fires of note. But just to give you an idea of what we're contending with, it had zero impact. It either didn't fall in the areas that we needed or it actually evaporated before it actually reached the, the ground. Now, as we head into the next couple of hours or next couple of days, we are back to hot, dry weather across much of the province, except for Quinell North. There is a glimmer of hope for that region. I'll explain why when I come back. Okay, we'll check in then as well. Thanks very much, Christy. Now, there are a number of ways you can help those affected. The Canadian Red Cross says money is the most helpful at this point. You can donate by heading to redcross.ca or calling 1-800-418-1111. Regional districts are working hard to coordinate food and medical supplies. And London drugstores are also offering to help people with any emergency medical prescriptions. Officials are asking people to avoid making donations to crowdfunding sites, some of which are popping up now, but they can be potential scams, so keep that in mind. Much more from the Fire Zones later in the news hour. And a troubling mystery at a West End apartment with million-dollar views. Two bodies in two separate apartments, victims who died under suspicious circumstances. And almost immediately, police zeroed in on two other people in the same building. New evidence today that could help solve the case in just over a minute. Gangway collapse at one of Steveston's favorite eateries. Global News speaks to victims who describe their terror when it broke. Coming up. And caught in the crossfire, how Surrey residents are reacting after yet another innocent victim is hit by a stray bullet. A little later on the news hour. Right now, though, Vancouver police trying to crack a murder mystery unfolding in the city's West End. A person of interest now under arrest after a man and woman found dead over the weekend in an apartment building overlooking English Bay. Grace Key is live at the apartment near English Bay. And Grace, homicide investigators found more evidence today. Yeah, it was actually just about a half a block down from the apartment complex here. There was another police scene late this morning where more evidence was found. And behind me here, just at Ocean Tower, police still here at the scene. It's one of the more notable West End apartments in Vancouver with a beachfront view of English Bay. An unlikely scene of Vancouver's latest murder investigation, a double homicide. It is a tragedy, a real tragedy, and we don't know uh, anything about it. Police say a 57-year-old woman and a 51-year-old man were both found dead in the building just before 5 p.m. on Sunday. A neighbor says she became concerned after the female victim didn't pick up her mail. She went to her friend's unit, discovered the door unlocked, and found her friend's body. Witnesses say two people were taken away in handcuffs. Investigators have arrested a person of interest, and based on the information collected so far, there's no indication that the public is at risk and all parties are known to each other. Late this morning and just a couple of buildings down, police tape was up next to the Sylvia Hotel. A jean jacket with what appears to be bloodstains was found on a shrub just at the entrance of the hotel. Police say the two incidents are related. People in the area shocked at what's unfolded. It's crazy. 
I uh, don't expect that to ever happen anywhere, but uh, it seems like a good neighborhood, so it's surprising for sure. Now, obviously still pretty early on in the investigation. As for a motive, that remains unclear. Now, neighbors tell us the female victim did live in this complex for about 15-plus years. Now, police are also asking the public if they saw anything unusual between the time of Saturday afternoon to early Sunday evening to please give them a call. Chris? All right, Grace Key in Vancouver. Thanks, Grace. A trailer full of aid from those who know. Fort McMurray sends love and a lot of other things that will come in very handy for B.C. wildfire evacuees. And catastrophe in a Tibetan town. What caused this apartment block to collapse? Back to our top story now and the wildfires raging in B.C. One fire north of Princeton has now grown to more than 2,000 hectares. That's about 20 square kilometers. Shelby Thomas live with more on that fire and the growing number of residents forced from their homes. Shelby. Chris, as you mentioned, wind is fanning the flames right now of this 2,000-hectare wildfire burning out of control behind me. Moments ago, another 49 homes in this area were ordered evacuated. That brings the total to 350 homes under an evacuation order. Many of those residents checking into the Riverside Community Center. That's where we spoke with some evacuees who shared their harrowing experiences of fleeing the area. It was amazing. Um, the fire was coming down the mountain like a river. I mean, the, the fire just, you could hear it, it was roaring. And, the, you know, and I could feel the heat at home, you know. Um, it, it was hard to leave. As you can imagine, these weather conditions quite challenging for crews with wind gusts of up to 40 kilometers an hour. It is hot and dry and there is no rain in sight. This firefight far from over. Chris? No doubt. Long night with winds like that. Thank you, Shelby Tom near Princeton. We're going to bring Sophie Louie back in now. And Sophie will talk a little bit more about how Prince George has rallied to help evacuees in a couple of minutes. But first, aid coming from a place that knows a thing or two about how to survive a devastating fire. Oh, definitely, Chris. Relief is coming to B.C. now from Fort McMurray. You'll remember Fort, Ma Fort Max devastating wildfires last year. So a group of volunteers drove through the night to deliver a trailer packed with emergency supplies. Of course, they were forced out of their homes for a full month during the Fort McMurray fire last year. These generous donors certainly understand the plight of the B.C. wildfire evacuees. So they loaded up with water, Gatorade, snacks, diapers, anything they thought they could do to lend a hand. They're feeling upset, confused, worried, stressed out. Um, they're not going to get the answers they want right now. Um, people just don't have the answers. It's going to be a long, stressful day today for a lot of people. It feels good to be able to pay it forward for everything that Canada did for us last year. And with me right now, Chris, is the mayor of Prince George, Lynn Hall. Mayor, thank you very much for joining us. I know you're very you're busy you're and, and looking for an update yourself. But just tell us what the situation is for evacuees right now in your city. Well, right now we've uh, registered some 800 evacuees. That's not necessarily the number that we're seeing in our evacuation shelters, but they could be in various parts of the community in hotels or with family and friends. Uh, right now we've got three locations established for them to uh, stay in uh, here at the College of New Caledonia, University of Northern British Columbia, and one of our high schools. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're, we're prepared to, uh, to 
see whoever arrives here, and, and that changes hourly. And, and you know what? It just changed in the last few minutes, uh, Chris. While we were off the air, the mayor and I were chatting, and these folks behind us, the evacuees, or the voluntary evacuees from Williams Lake, just got an alert on their phone talking about an evacuation alert now for the entire city of Williams Lake. So you're just learning that now as well, Mayor Hall. Yeah. Uh, how does that affect your plans here? I know well, I'm putting you on the spot of it. Yeah, it's going to drastically affect our plans. So we meet tonight at 9 o'clock with our emergency operations team and we'll be talking now about what do we have to do to prepare because we are the closest large city with evacuation operations uh, to, to Williams Lake. They're about two and a half, three hours away. Uh, so we'll now have to start to prepare and we'll probably be seeing them sometime later tonight. It could be around you know, 9 or 10 o'clock. So we'll have to uh, get our team together, and which we do every day, a couple times a day, and make sure that we're ready for them. And I would anticipate that they would be going yeah. to the high school or up to the university. Now, at the moment, it's still just an evacuation alert, but that means that folks in Williams Lake have to be ready to go on a yeah. moment's notice for uh, if that order comes, and hopefully it doesn't. But right. how do you deal with you have 800 registered now and potentially many more on the way. Yeah, well, given the fact that it's an alert, as you say, Sophie, we'll still prepare for them as if they're coming at some point. Uh, but we can handle, I, I would say, a few thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, our, we have accommodations all over the city ready to be put on notice. So we have our, our civic center and we have a multitude of schools that we can go into. So we're in pretty good shape from an accommodation perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, whenever we hear about the alert, uh, we kick into action the team that uh, looks at it from the perspective is that, yes, they're coming. All right. We have to just to be prepared. All right. I know you're taking time out of a, an already very busy day. I'll let you go Great. and start planning for that in case it happens. Uh, Prince George Mayor Lynn Hall joining us. And as the mayor mentioned, uh, the situation is changing hour by hour, minute by minute, Chris. So we're keeping on top of it here in Prince George for you. And we'll check back with you a little bit later. It sure is. We appreciate the mayor's time. It, it, it's not unheard of for people to look to their leaders at times like this, and that happened on the provincial level as well. Sophie, thanks very much. We'll check in a little bit later. As wildfires continue to blaze across the province, forcing evacuation orders and alerts, many are wondering who's the boss. Premier Christy Clark and Premier-designate John Horgan both chimed in today. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria to clear up some of the confusion. Keith. Yeah, Chris, our, our continuing odd and unprecedented political situation continues. And now the backdrop uh, is the wildfire situation. So we have this unprecedented situation where both Premier Christy Clark, the outgoing premier, and the incoming uh, premier, Premier-designate John Horgan, both visiting Kamloops, uh, the sign of uh, a major centre for, uh, for the wildfire situation, uh, both offering messages of hope and also money. Because right now only Christy Clark can actually deliver money because she's the premier. John Horgan doesn't become a premier for at least another week. I uh, talked to both of them yesterday, a message of hope from Premier Christy Clark and John Horgan talking about his conversation with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I'm announcing $100 million for the Red Cross. That'll include, um, just like for the floods, $600 immediately available to people who have registered. I'm thinking that the federal government's biggest commitment at this point could be uh, to move personnel and move people uh, out of evacuated areas. Uh, again, I'll have to wait for Mr. Rustad to make that call, but the federal government stands ready. So it appears John Horgan is getting regular briefings from John Rustad, B.C.'s forest minister. Uh, the expectation, he wants to hit the ground running, our new premier, when he's sworn in a week tomorrow, next uh, Tuesday, July 18th in the afternoon. One of his first priorities may well be having to revisit some of these areas, whether it's Kamloops, Williams Lake, Prince George, who knows. But uh, traditionally, a B.C. premier does visit these wildfire uh, centres or, or situations, and I expect nothing different from John Horgan.
That's right. Uh, all indications are this is going to be uh, several mm -hmm. days, if not weeks, before uh, the emergency is over. But thanks very much, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Much more news today. Bullets fly in Surrey, so what's the city doing about it? Oh, this is crazy. After an innocent bystander is hit, residents target the mayor to take it more seriously. And with so much of the province dealing with thick smoke, the health impacts you probably didn't consider and how to protect yourself. Stray bullets are a deadly concern with another daylight shooting on the streets of Surrey yesterday. One of the shots injured an innocent woman sitting in her vehicle. And residents say it's time city officials took it seriously. John Waugh explains why the mayor says help is in the hands of the new B.C. government. A truck gutted by fire, not even the worst part of the latest targeted gunfight in Surrey. Oh, this is crazy. This time, police unable to say there is no threat to the public. But for the grace of God, um, you know, she is, she is uh, not harmed worse. An innocent bystander grazed in the shoulder by a bullet. As shots were fired between two vehicles on 174 A Street at about 3.30 Sunday afternoon. The victim sitting in the passenger seat of a parked van, just visiting from Ontario. However uh, minor the injury may be, I can assure you that she was incredibly frightened and uh, is sore today. Surrey RCMP still looking for a black Hyundai with a damaged front bumper. And two men seen fleeing this red pickup after it was set ablaze. With more than 100 new RCMP officers already brought to Surrey, the mayor pointing to other means of dealing with the problem. My next conversation will be with Premier uh, Delegate Horgan around some of the funding for the uh, combined forces units that are happening at the provincial level. Critics say solutions should have been found before someone was hit by a stray bullet. We're tired of being told that things aren't as bad as they seem to be because they really are when it affects you and your neighbours personally. Like many others in Surrey, this family neighbourhood now lost in fear. Families all come out with their kids and they, they walk up and down the streets. I'm shaking. I'm shaking. It's sad. Um, it should always be safe, especially for the children. So even though the bystander was only grazed, the threat it represents hitting this community square on. John Hua, Global News. A convicted sex offender who sparked controversy and outrage with his arrival in Mission is on the move tonight. The province once again warning the public about 42-year-old James Conway, the high-risk sex offender now plans to live in Chilliwack. A year ago, Conway moved to that halfway house in Mission, where Global News exposed a conflict of interest. The home was owned by an employee of WJS Canada, the company that found him the house. Community Living BC says Conway's move to a new residence resolves that conflict. A close call for diners in Steveston on Sunday after the ramp to a packed floating restaurant gave way. Tonight, as Tanya Beja reports, we're learning more about those terrifying moments from one family caught in the Pajos walkway collapse. Witnesses heard the warning sound seconds before the collapse. I heard it cracking, something cracking. I turned around and I saw the bridge. I saw the bridge fall, right? And you could, all you heard was this big loud bang and everybody just went, ah! The ramp to popular Pajos restaurant buckled yesterday afternoon. The Zanotto family was walking down. Slid all the way down to where the break was, where the water was. Yeah. And that's my worst fear, water, because I can't swim. 
Tina Zanotto fell on her side. Her children tried to help from the dock, but Zanotto couldn't move. And it's been past 25 minutes with no, look, she's shaking. I lost control of my legs because I got so traumatized by what had happened. A nearby nurse came to her aid, but first responders had trouble reaching her. We hear one of the paramedic guys up the top saying, we can't get down there, there's live wires in the water. The family now calling for safety improvements at the restaurant, including life jackets and a secondary access ramp. The only way in is the only way out. So if that breaks, you're pretty much yeah, stuck you're there. Stuck. So there's, yeah. there's a big flaw in that. If we would have been in a life-threatening situation, we wouldn't have made it out of there. Pajo staff say the restaurant will remain closed while they work to find the cause of the collapse. Tanya Beja, Global News. In health news tonight, a smoky skies advisory in effect for much of B.C.'s interior where a thick wildfire haze is choking many communities. Linda Aylesworth explains who's most affected by the danger and how you can reduce the risk. Not surprisingly, the government has issued smoky skies advisories for much of B.C.'s interior. But what exactly is smoke and why do we need to be warned about it? Primarily, it is a mixture of gases and very small particles. And although both the gases and the particles can have health effects, it's those really small particles that we worry about the most. That's because the smaller the particles, the deeper they can be drawn into the lungs. From there, they can transfer into the blood system and trigger an immune response. Your body treats smoke as a foreign invader like it would a bacterium or a virus, but it can't kill smoke because smoke's not alive. So it puts you into this state of kind of inflammation. Inflammation that can affect any organ in the body. And while that isn't good for anyone, those with chronic conditions like asthma, heart disease or diabetes are more at risk of complications. Next, I would put pregnant women and young children, infants, and the very elderly. If you can move away from the smoke, great. If not... I just stay in the house out of the smoke. It's better in the house and we've got a little air conditioner that's filtered. Look for indoor environments that might be less smoky. Some of those might include shopping malls, community centers, libraries, places where they have big filtration systems. Other advice, avoid physical exertion. It only makes you breathe the smoke in deeper. Keep hydrated. It helps your body deal with inflammation better. And if you have a chronic condition, have rescue medication on hand at all times. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. We'll check in on the fire zone in a few more moments. In Sydney, a lot of people watching like a hawk. This has created astounding attention around the world. Against all odds, this nest is home to a very unusual family. And on the edge, incredible video of a building collapse in Tibet. All villagers could do is watch as one of the town's apartment blocks tips over. The amazing video right after weather. And we saw a little earlier, Shelby Tom, our reporter, was in the Princeton area and the wind was blowing hard. Christy's got the numbers for us right now. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Yes, the absolute worst case scenario for that area through the afternoon hours. They've had gusts up to 30 and at times up to 50 kilometers an hour. You can see that here right now. These are the current conditions. 44 kilometer an hour gusts, sustained winds at about 20 kilometers an hour, the relative humidity close to about 31 percent. And it is dry and it is smoky. Um, And in the coming days for this area, no relief in sight. We are expecting the temperatures to increase 
and through the afternoon hours we will continue to see gusty winds so they ease off overnight but then they pick up through the afternoon hours that is the pattern we'll see in the coming days however we talked about the northern regions a bit of a relief i'll show you that in a few seconds but first we have an extreme situation in the southeastern corner where we could see some more fires ignited but the good news is the lightning strikes are coming along with periods of rain and that looks like it may just balance out the scenario but we have severe thunderstorm warnings in effect for just north of Castlegar, pushing into the nelson region at this hour so a number of thunderstorms if you see any lightning or hear it go inside make sure you take shelter because we could see some intense lightning in that area and also northeast of cranbrook severe thunderstorm warning that's east cooney and elk valley region we'll keep you up to date on the scenario there now in the forecast we talked about the rain this is as of tomorrow evening barely any rain not going to make much of a difference as well but at all um, but areas north of quinell that's where we're watching for the potential of rain on wednesday maybe even thursday as well the uncertainty is there though as to how much rain whether it will actually fall in the areas where we need it uh, so we'll be tracking this but a glimmer of hope for these areas north of quinell uh, through wednesday and on thursday meanwhile the rest of the province we will be hot and sunny starting tomorrow right into the weekend except for that northwestern corner periods of rain there down through the south 29 30 degree weather gusts of wind potentially through the afternoon hours again and for the south coast enjoying summer-like weather with 22 degrees right where we should be for this time of year and that's going to last through until the weekend happy birthday to ivy carson she turned 105 helenor hodge turning 100 maude wilkinson and Kay smith also celebrating uh birthdays tonight and beryl and bob duxbury and mary and henry loined celebrating anniversaries tonight congratulations to you all and an ominous shot to end things off chris from prince george that's a look at the sun today and some startling pictures mm-hmm. with the uh, fire in the atmosphere for sure okay christy thanks very much for that now villagers could only watch in horror as runoff from torrential rain helped topple a building in western china Dramatic video out of Tibet capturing the moment rushing floodwaters washed away the foundations of the five-story building, causing it to collapse. No one was hurt. Thankfully, the uh, the building had been evacuated long before. The area has been inundated with days of heavy rain. In sports, a Ronich rally at Wimbledon. Yes, Milos survives a five-setter to reach the quarterfinals. Squires got details coming up and soaring with eagles. How a little hawk in Sydney is proving everyone wrong. A welcome diversion from all that's happening in the province right now with wildfire. Squires here with sports. I think I can help you with that. Yes. We are still awaiting, and it might not be until August, the Canucks and Bull Horvat to agree in a new contract. Now today, Tyler Johnson signed a seven-year deal with the Tampa Bay Lightning. It'll average $5 million per year. Johnson's point and goal numbers were slightly less than Horvat's last season. Now, it's likely that Horvat's people have asked for at least $5 million per year from the Canucks, possibly more. And if Johnson can get five per, well, Horvat's people will say he's worth at least that as well. $5 million a year with the Canucks would be about $625,000 more per season than fellow center Brandon Sutter. But that is fair. 
since Horvat is at least the number two center on this team, possibly number one, and likely the Canucks' future captain. So Rafael Nadal was knocked out at Wimbledon today. Long five-set match with uh, Gilles Mueller. But Andy Murray and Roger Federer survived, and so did Milos Ronic. Last year, Ronic, of course, made the finals at Wimbledon, lost to Andy Murray. In order to make the finals last year, he beat Roger Federer in the semis. This year, he gets Federer again, this time in the quarterfinals. Milos Ronic was taking on Alexander Severev. And he was down 2-1 in sets. But in the fourth set, Ronit started to get it together, wins the fourth set, and then in the fifth set, it's pretty much all Ronic. We showed you this before the commercial break. It's worth another look right down the line. Finishes it off with ace number one. Well, wait a minute. I'm not going to show you the ace yet. I want to show you this little drop shot. There you go. That's nice. Now... Serve it out. One ace. And another. Ronich and Federer in the quarterfinals. Angelique Kerber, number one seed knocked out on the women's side, but Venus Williams was a winner. Well, she was the flag bearer for Canada at the 2016 Summer Olympic Games, and she has been the standard bearer for the sport of trampoline for a long time. Canada's Rosie McLennan bounces better than anyone on the planet, and she's not about to stop anytime soon. No one's performed better in the history of trampoline sports than Canada's Rosie McLennan, and she's got the hardware to prove it. McLennan, who's now 28, has won the gold medal at the last two Olympics, the first to ever defend the Olympic title. Oh, and she's also won 14 world championship medals, which also includes two golds. Winning is amazing, but the ripple effect it has is even more gratifying. I think the most incredible part is being able to share those medals with young kids and hopefully inspire them to follow their dream and to follow their passion. If sharing that with some of the kids here at the carnival triggers a dream like that, I mean, that's, that's the best part. McLennan's been touring the country this summer, promoting trampolining as a great sport to try, but also one that brings people together, too. You can't help but smile when you're bouncing up and down. I mean, it's great exercise. It's a great way to spend family time together, some quality time, uh, learning some different skills and different movements and just something uh, a little outside the normal, I guess. Of course, backyard jumping and doing the tricks Rosie does in competition are two different things. It takes some inner daredevil to jump that high and make it look that easy. Uh, I think it definitely helps having a little bit of courage, um, being able to face your fears and uh, get up there. I mean, you don't start doing the tricks and getting the height that we do. You start with some basics. You start uh, finding your feet on the trampoline and building that height over time. And uh, I think it just grows. It attracts all sorts of different personalities. McLennan is still going strong. She'll compete at the Canadian Championships next week in Oshawa. And beyond that, maybe another Olympics. Why not go for the hat trick of golds? I think there's just more that I feel like I can do. I don't feel like I've reached my peak yet. I still have a lot of fun in the sport. And there's a lot of up-and-coming athletes that I hope to work with and encourage them to try and build up their abilities and hopefully recruit some of these young ones to come out and give it a shot. Very delayed global sports. 
There was always some kid in the neighborhood who always had a trampoline <laughs> and became the most popular kid in the summertime. For us, it's the next door neighbor. It's per perfectly placed. Works out well. Thanks very much, Squire. Appreciate that. We'll check in now with Ann Drua and a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Ann? Thanks, Chris. A man is facing charges tonight after pulling an axe on police officers at the police station in New Westminster. The incident happened on Friday night. Police say the 42-year-old tried to set up camp at the police station's lobby when officers told the man he could not stay, but they were working on a place for him to sleep. Police say tensions escalated quickly. Also ahead, as we told you earlier, high-risk sex offender James Conway is planning to move to Chilliwack. We'll hear from the mayor of that city who is expressing concerns. And of course, we continue to keep a close eye on the fires burning across the province right now. That's all coming up tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right. Thanks very much. And even sooner than that, we'll check in one more time from the fire zone in B.C. before the news hour ends and a little hawk proving everyone wrong. Time for an update now on our fine feathered friend in Sydney. Love is blind. It's true, right? A dramatic and uh, unusual story unfolding in the treetops above Sydney, a young hawk raised by a family of eagles. Now, no one expected the young bird to survive more than a few days in the nest. But as Nitu Garcha reports, not only is it surviving, it's thriving. There are many eyes on this red-tailed hawk. Its followers still increasingly fascinated. I've been watching him for the last couple of days, and this bird is an immaculate uh, uh, shape. All odds were against it. The hawk, part of a family that should treat it more like prey. Some people were suggesting that the hawklets were just waiting to be dinner for the siblings, but it was evident to me right from the beginning the eagle was deeply attached. We believe that the eggs were somehow deposited in the nest by a red-tailed hawk. It's been about a month and a half since the hawk was spotted in the nest. Today, it's small but fierce, which could be why it's still alive. He thinks he's a bald eagle. He's imprinted on bald eagles. And so that aggressive attitude of wanting to get food has helped him basically run around and grab it wherever he can from the parents, from the other eaglets and little bits in the nest. Defending itself, surviving, thriving and even becoming a leader in the pack. Today is an exciting day on Somerset because the eaglets made their first uh, flight around the neighborhood to follow their little hawk brother. The story has international attention. Local residents like Orrin Olson have become bird watchers. He says he spends a few hours here every second day. They call me the drive-by shooter because I park my car and then sometimes just shoot out of the car because <laughs> my back gets or hold the camera up and everything. Kind of an addiction, I guess. Even with each new development being watched like a hawk, the rare nature of it leaving bird experts hesitant to make any more predictions. It's been so strange, yet I'd hate to hazard a guess, but it uh, has interesting potential. So this bird's future, still very much up in the air. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Sydney. Watching the hawk and keeping a close watch on the fire situation in the province is Sophie up in Prince George tonight. It's been another busy day for fire crews. Soph, likely going to get busier uh, over the long term here. 
Well, I just want to update you again, Chris, on the evacuation alert we mentioned uh, during the show, breaking news about Williams Lake, an evacuation alert now posted for the entire city of Williams Lake. And the reason that is, is because the weather that's forecast for Wednesday could mean uh, that the fires that are burning near, near Williams Lake will be pushed west toward the city. So that's the concern, is the weather forecast for Wednesday. Once again, it is an evacuation alert. It's not an order at this moment, but Prince George is definitely ready. Uh, we've seen lots of generosity here, people coming to offer water, to offer food, to offer to do laundry for the evacuees here. So uh, that's one of the good things that comes out of a situation like this, Chris. Appreciate all the help, and we appreciate you uh, pulling out early from a long weekend away for the Grand Fondo. Thanks very much, so for being <laughs> up there in Prince George for us. As we leave you tonight, uh, some powerful images from the wildfires that are devastating the interior. Of course, our thoughts are with all of those impacted. Thanks for watching.